Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. We've been doing quite a, quite a, a good series over the last few months, actually. Now we've come. What are we doing? Galatians and Ephesians. Now Galatians and Ephesians have been books that have been really significant, actually. I feel for my life, and I don't know about you, but for my life, I just felt such richness come from these pages, and we'll unpack that a little bit later on. But today we we finished Ephesians. We Amy finished Ephesians last week. And now we're entering into Philippians. Now Philippians is, is, is a wonderful book, again, ordained just by the work, by the Spirit of God. And it's surrounded by such rich culture that we find ourselves where it's being written and the actual environment it's being written in. We're going to unpack a little bit of that right now. Now if you want to find the actual, more of the detailed stories of Philippians, you want to read Acts 16, okay? And Acts 16 talks about um, Paul going there himself. And it's the situation, you might remember, you might remember the situation where they're ministering, they're in the town, and they have this demon girl that, demon girl, it's not a very nice word, but there's this girl who keeps annoying them and, and calling out all the things that they are, so these guys are from the Most High, and all of, they just get annoyed with her after, after a little one, they just cast the demon out, and then basically that, that, by doing that, they lose her owner's profit, okay? So you should remember that story, That's, this is where this is unpacking. But where we get the book of Philippians, Paul is writing it from a jail. Paul is writing this, this letter to, the, to Philippi, the guys in Philippi, from jail. He's, been on, he's under arrest because of the way that he's been spreading the gospel, spreading the good news. And this story about him casting out the demon within this jail is, was, was those, his owners caused, those, her owners like, stirred up trouble. And that was one of the reasons that he is put on house arrest and he's in jail. So let's understand the culture that he's in. And, and Philippi was a place of thick Roman, in, it was a thick Roman environment. A lot of retired soldiers there. So in that culture, in that place, it was very in, indoctrinated with, with, Rome, with Rome itself. And Caesar would have been Lord. So anybody, you would have, the, the natural wording you would hear is Caesar is Lord. Okay, when actually Paul and the new believers and, and the new church come along and their words are different, it's Jesus is Lord. And we know that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord over all. But that was a different thing that they brought to that culture, to that context. And that's a little bit of where we're going to be heading into today. So Acts 16, I'd encourage you to read the whole book because I'm only going to be unpacking little pieces of Philippians 1 today. But Acts 16 is the full story. And they, start, it's, they, they think it was in northern, northern Macedonia, Eastern Europe. It was one of the first places that Paul went to when he started his mission further afield. So that's where we find ourselves. So just bear in mind that Paul is in chains, okay? Let's set the, set the environment here. He's in chains, but let's listen to the tone of the language that he uses really early on in the letter to Philippians. Okay, so remember where he is. He's in chains, he's held back. He can't do what he loves. He's being held down, he's hurting, whatever he may be, but he's in chains. But listen to the tone of his words right here. So let's go together in Philippians 1.3. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now you've heard of unpack over the last few weeks about this journey that we are going on as a family, that we are being moulded as a family by the potter himself of the things that are going on inside of us. And this is what Paul is saying right here, not just for us as a body that we can apply to our lives, but to the guys in Philippi. He was saying that I'm certain that God who began the good work within you. Okay, you know that if you touch the things that go on inside you, you expect the things that go on on the outside of you, because this is where it all starts here. 
Okay, and that's the, the importance of us embracing the inner journey that we're going through together, that we will constantly be going through until the day of Christ's return. But it's something we must embrace and something that we are embracing as a body of this inner journey, this inner molding that God is calling us to. And remember, it doesn't happen in the twinkling, twinkling of an eye that we would like to. We'd hope it would happen like that. We'd happen with the transform just like that and everything's done. But actually, God is a God of the process. God is a God who loves the journey of us every single day. And remember, I said, and I unpacked it a little bit in Ephesians 4, and it says, God, Paul says, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitude. So it's a partnering with the Holy Spirit where we partner together to journey together because he tells us to take every thought captive, but it's a partnering because we can't do it all ourselves. We need him to come together with us, take every thought captive to journey with him in this process of every single day, considering it pure joy when we go through trials and tribulations. But we're partnering with the Holy Spirit to enter into the moulding and to looking more like Jesus. And here's another few tips for you, the one thing I've found over and I think it just is general for us to know as well, is that transformation comes by what you surround yourself with. So if I was in a room full of people that suffered with addiction or depression or whatever it may be, likelihood is that would touch me, that would surround me, and subconsciously you would take it on. Subconsciously, you would come away feeling these things of, of, of addiction or depression. Whereas the contrary, if you go in a room full of people that are full of joy, full of healing, full of happiness, that will affect you. Even whether you realise it or subconsciously, it will affect you. And that's the importance of us being aware of what we surround ourselves with. If we surround ourselves with the word of God, if we surround ourselves with the presence of God, and we become aware of his presence around us, because what you behold, you become. I don't know about you, if you hang around someone long enough, you start to become like them. You start to take on their way of thinking, their way of speaking. And so transformation is something that we have to be really intentional about, how what we surround ourselves with. And I want to say to you today, say to me today, say to us as a church today, that we must, we must, we must surround ourselves with the word of God. We must. And what in, happens in Jewish culture and what was a commandment in Deuteronomy to the Jewish people was that you should bind these words, bind the love Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul, bind them on your arms, bind them on your head. So what you'll see in Jewish culture is they have a little black box just here. And if you see people praying, they'll be rocking like this. And if you go to Jerusalem, they have arms, um, rope around their arms, a rope-like leather thing. But what it represents is the word being bound around their arms, the word being bound around their head. And for us as a people, the way that transformation comes is by binding these things spiritually, metaphorically, getting ourselves in the word of God. And we bind it around all that we are that it is surrounding us on every side, and that is a way that we can become transformed. That is a way that we can embrace transformation to look like Jesus. And you may think, you know, well, and for, for me as well, I struggled a, such, such a long time to read the Bible. In my early years, I, I struggled so hard because it's very black and white. I'm very visual, I'm very audible, but it's very black and white, and I just struggled to take anything. I struggled to feel anything going on. I, I struggled to recognize this isn't really doing anything for me. I can't remember anything. You know, one thing I take hope from, and one thing I want to give to you as a bit of hope as well, is that a lot of time we don't even remember what we had for breakfast last week, but we know it nourished us. And it's the same way with you have when you read the word. You have no idea what is going on inside of you. You may not feel like you remember everything that you read. You may not feel that it's changing you very much, but it nourishes you regardless. It nourishes your spirit, soul, mind, and body. For us as a people, that is the importance of binding ourselves in the word of God. Let it be an addiction to us. Let us something that we can't live without. That the word of God is constantly on our lips, on our thoughts, on our ears. And it's something that God told the, the, the Jewish people to do and still do today. 
which is something we must apply to our lives. Not physically, we can if you want to, but spiritually, we apply the word of God to our lives. Let's carry on reading verse one, uh, 1 verse 9. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters, that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. So the righteous character produced in your salvation by who? It's produced by Jesus Christ. It's produced by intimacy of Jesus Christ. It's produced by his work on the cross. It's produced only and only by Jesus Christ and you taking up intentionality and responsibility to partner with the Holy Spirit. And this is something that God is passionate about us living in and rising up in, in the righteousness character he longs for us to live in. For this will bring much glory and praise to God, but it will also bring benefit to you. It brings glory and praise to God, but it also brings benefit and life to you because everything God calls us to is for our benefit. You know, the, the, the world says that this is the way to life. This is the way to get life. You, you may find it through finance. You may get it through girls. You may get it through boys. You may get it through drinking. You may get it through alcohol. You may get it through all these addictions. And this, says the world, this is the way to the life. And actually, Jesus says over here, this is the way to life. I am the way to life. Follow me to find life. And not many people find this path because it's narrow. Not many people find this path because they think, no, that doesn't lead to life. It doesn't make me feel good all the time. This guy gives a temporary heart, and this is the, what you think. And you have this mindset of, if it makes you happy, didn't do it. When actually it's completely wrong, and it's a lie. And we know that way to true life is following Jesus. It's carrying your, carrying your cross and imitating Jesus in every way, shape, or form. And that's what produces a character within us as a people that God is calling us to produce. And you know, for me, this has been such a lifelong journey, such a lifelong process that, of course, we are all still on and we're not the finished article by any means. But I know God is doing something within me, doing something within us as a leadership, something within us as a church that he is preparing us for because something coming is big, something coming is beyond our imagination and God's preparing our hearts for what is to come. And for me, it's like I said, it's been a lifelong journey. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 13 years old. And I was encountered, I was never the same again. I wasn't fixed, I wasn't clean. I, I, I mean, I was clean by his blood, but I wasn't just, I wasn't, I, I didn't just win every single battle that was going on in my life at that moment. It's been a process of going on. But one thing in my life I didn't struggle with, I, I, I learned things quite quickly. I started to pray in tongues quite quickly. I started to prophesy quite quickly. I learned to actually, I to do things within the Christianity that people thought were quite impressive quite quickly. And it's became an identity for me. It became an identity for me as a young man who, who would be noticed by churches and asked to speak or whatever it may be. And it became this identity in me that made me feel good about myself. And I was always, and, I, and subconsciously I'd think these thoughts and I wouldn't even realise I'm thinking them a lot of the time. But of course Mike Sterner would never give anything like that away because I'm a good Christian boy. I've clocked on early. When really, the, what was going on inside my head was quite the contrary. I was comparing myself. I was shaken when I felt another threat come in the room. If there was another young man or young woman who could prophesy, who could do anything or whatever it may be, I would, deep down in me, I would, I would be comparing and I'd want to raise the bar so I could compete and be with them. Can we relate to this? Or is it just me? And it could not just doesn't have to be spiritually. It can be with your identity, with doing tea and coffee, hospitality, or being the hardest working, whatever it may be. And sometimes we feel a threat. We feel um, we just get shaken by these things, this comparison. We feel like we have to compete the whole time. And let me tell you, church, that's that's not kingdom living. 
Kingdom living is celebrating. Kingdom living is living a life of victory and celebrating other people's victories. And let's read in um, Philippians 1 verse 15. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives if they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. You think about the selflessness of Paul, of everyone that could boast in what he's done, the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the knowledge, the understanding, the writing, the wisdom. Paul's selflessness and humility, he says that it's not about me and it's not about you, but it's about Jesus being glorified. And that is a pattern that we see within the Bible. That's a pattern that we see within the life of Jesus. And there's a pattern that we can see within in the good and the bad. You can see the life of Saul, okay? Life of Saul and David. And that's one of my favourite favorite chunks of the bible are david david stories and basically saul starts to get threatened by this this guy david and the people start singing and recognizing that david is is someone david has power and, and they start singing saul has ki- killed thousands but david uh, saul has killed thousands but david has killed tens of thousands and what happens when you when you when you host these feelings of threat and jealousy and competition and comparison is that it affects you and it drove saul mad For years and years, he chased after David, even though David had no intention of overthrowing the throne, even though David had no intention of doing any harm to Saul in any way, shape, or form. This battle that it created inside of Saul caused him to go mad and caused his own downfall. But David's heart the whole time, even though his mates and the mighty men were saying, here's your opportunity to take Saul's life, David said, why would I even consider dishonoring or harming God's anointed one? And he cuts off the hem of his garments. And we know the story. But the point is, what happens when you host these kind of thinking? Like I say, it's for our benefit and God's glory, this molding of righteousness, this journey we're going on. It keeps us sane. It keeps us sane. Whereas you look at David, on the other hand, who, who hosted these thoughts of honor, love, just rejoicing that God's anointed one was, was on the throne, whatever it may be. That foundation that laid for his future in ruling a nation, in ruling a kingdom, in, in bringing victory over victory over victory, that was the foundation laid deep within his heart. And we've got Moses, okay, in Numbers 11. I love this story. I, I love it. Okay? And you've got Moses, and Joshua comes to him, and there's a story of people prophesying, okay? And Moses was known as the prophet. He was the man who went up the mountain. He was the man that did the miracles. He was the man that people were like, whoa, this guy, he's the prophet. He's the oracle. He's whatever he is. He's this dude that is something, okay? And again, he had every reason, he had every reason to hold on to that identity in in the world sense, because that's the way the world operates, okay? And Joshua comes to him and basically says to him, there's people prophesying. There's people prophesying. Uh, and I think he's trying to get at, he's saying, look, you should be, you're the one that prophesies. That's your identity. This is how you do it, Moses. What are you going to do about somebody else who's prophesying over there? Listen to Moses' response. It's Numbers 11. Moses says this, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. 
So he's basically saying, what I have, I want them to experience. It's not just about me keeping it. And church is not about you having a gift and keeping it to yourself. You're blessed to be a blessing. And that is the humility that comes with knowing God. Because the more you know him, the more you realize how less you are, I, I believe. And I know from my own experiences, the more I've come to know God, the more I realize I am just dust. I am just dust. Why would I boast in anything? Because it all comes from him. But in that, you get the, you realize you are dust and you are nothing. You are just a wave just come and gone or a great blade of grass just going gone. But you also recognize how amazing you are because God tells you. And he gives you that revelation. But when you get to know him, you actually, I believe you grow in humility. The more you know Jesus, the more you know God, you grow in humility because you find out who you are, but you actually find out who you are, if that makes sense. <laughs> Another one, you've got John the Baptist, okay? These are just some, some examples of this kind of kingdom thinking. You've got John the Baptist, okay? So his ministry is taking off. He's starting to get people queuing up. He's, people are getting queuing up to come to the Jordan River. Word has got out into the cities about a, cra- a crazy man with horse, with camel hair, and he's just out, out, in the, out in the wilderness, okay? And word has got out, and he's becoming something. He's getting an identity. He's getting a, a reason to whatever it may be, get a plaque of ministry over his head, the baptism ministry, all this kind of stuff. But his posture, again, when Jesus comes along, he says, there's one greater than I. And he says, he, I'm, I'm, I'm worthy to untie his sandals. And it's this posture of it not being about us, but it's about celebrating and lifting up other people. It's us being on the backbone and people being put ahead of us. And that's exactly what Jesus modeled. And that's what I want to talk about with Jesus modeling. Jesus came into the earth. He died for our sins. But in that process, he defeated death and he defeated our sins and he made us clean. He made us white as snow. But in that process, he rose up a group of people to do more than he could do. He said, you're going to do this and more. And he rose them up to just, just to, to, to raise the dead, heal the sick, to do all the things that he did. He didn't keep it for themselves and just show off and be an entertainer. He said, this is for you. This is for you. And church, this is all for you as well. Because that is the nature of our God. The nature of our God is to see people celebrate and to be and act like him and love like him and be like him. And I pray, church, I pray with all my heart that people would see us as a body and they would know we're followers of Jesus. They would know we're Christians by our love. They would know, our, we, they would know our, we are Christians, not by our building, but by our love. I love, love one another and I love for people. And that's exactly the way that Jesus lived. And we see it again in Paul's writing in verse 15. He's not, he's not comparing or competing with anybody else, even if they're doing it out of false motives, even if their motives are wrong. He's not going to come under that kind of thinking. He's not going to fall under that way of jealousy or competition or whatever it may be. He takes the higher path and he says, actually, the best thing is that Christ is glorified. And for you and I, the best thing is that Christ is glorified in everything in our lives. In everything in our lives. And this is just some, one thing I'm, I'm, I'm highlighting today is a journey that goes on, on the inside that God is wanting to pour into you. And I want to encourage you, if you feel like that, do, do, do the reverse for it. And if you see someone that you, you, you're like, why have they got that? Just celebrate it. Say, thank you, God, that they've got this victory. Thank you. Just start celebrating it. It, kind of just, it gets rid of every kind of thought of competition or, or comparison. Because we're not called to compare. Because when we compare, we lose sight of everything we do have. Are you with me? I hope, you're making sense, but I hope I'm making sense. I hope you're all, all okay. Um, and like I said, this is all for our good. This is all for our good and for his glory. And nobody's there yet, but we're going to be journeying on this process together. Okay, and we're going to be journeying together with this, holding each other's hands, moving up the mountain together, step by step, little by little. And it's okay if you haven't got it yet. It's okay. 
God loves you. He's, he's holding your hand. He loves journeying and processing with you. But he also loves transforming us. And sometimes transformation is, hurts. Sometimes it's not easy. But it is necessary for his glory and for your benefit. This final, final reading in verse 127. It says this. Above all else, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Now, church, I want to say to you today, you are not from this earth. Your passport is is from heaven. I recognize we've got lots of nationalities in this church, but your passport is, a heaven, is from heaven. You are a heavenly citizen. We are, our home is not this earth. This earth will soon pass away because the Bible says that the things of unseen were eternal, but the things that are seen will soon pass away. And our home is heaven. And we often hear about heaven coming to earth and touching earth. And we want, yes, we say, yes, heaven invade our earth. Please invade our earth. And we hear it with healing and sickness and more physical things. But actually, one thing I want us to cultivate and for myself to cultivate is the mindset of heaven. So when heaven comes, we're completely just absorbed in the mindset of heaven, in the mindset of praise, in the mindset of of love, in the mindset of kingdom living. Because I can't, if you just think about the mindset of heaven, I can't imagine there's any eels in heaven. You know, and there's something about when heaven comes, it doesn't just heal our bodies, but there's something about our mind that it rewires there's another importance for us to pray, heaven come, heaven absorb my mind, let my have the mind of Christ. Let my attitudes and thoughts be pleasing to you, Jesus. See my heart and know me. Search my heart, O oh God. And let us be transformed into this likeness because we are heavenly citizens. And that is your right. And we can approach the throne with boldness and gladness. And we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So that's, that's the word of God right there. And that's the truth. God is no liar. It's impossible for him to lie, and that's the truth about you and I. And we know by the blood of Jesus, we know by him making a way for the holy place, we have access to heaven. Death is no longer the gateway to heaven. Jesus is. And for us, let's use that together. Let's use that together to be transformed, to look like him, to surround ourselves in every say. I love the prayer of St. Patrick, Christ before me, Christ beside of me, Christ within me, Christ above me, Christ below me that we would just become like the atmosphere we surround ourselves with. What you behold, you become. And all the more reason to spend more time with Jesus, but like I said, more time in the Word. Wrap it around your heart, wrap it around your head, wrap it around your arms. And it's, 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 it's important that we don't just pick and choose what areas we want to imply to our lives. We can't just pick and choose, you know, I want to work on this, but I don't want to work on that. I want to leave that for, you know, 10 years' time. But God is, God is interested in our whole hearts. He's interested in all of you, not just some parts of you, but all of your heart. He wants your whole heart. And I said, for his glory, for his fame, for the fame of Jesus Christ being magnified in the earth, but for your benefit and for the church's benefit and for the benefit of the world, are we being transformed? We are being transformed into his likeness in the name of Jesus. Let's pray together, shall we? Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit of the living God. I thank you, Father, for your presence. I thank you, Lord, for all your activity you're doing in this church that we don't even realise or we don't even see. I thank you, Father, that you are for us and no one can stand against us. 
And I just speak peace, I speak shalom over to the hearts and minds of everyone listening right now. Wherever you may be, I speak shalom, but I speak joy and excitement to be transformed. I speak joy and excitement to be moulded by the potter. For your glory, Jesus, and for our benefit, for our righteousness. That the world may know that Jesus is king. The world may know that Jesus is Lord. The world may know that you are coming again. And Father, I just declare that we will be a transformed body. We are a transformational church, Lord. And transform people, transform people. Would you bless us, Father, with your strength, with your power, with the spirit of wisdom and revelation. As we honour you, we love you, and we want to glorify your name. And we want to see Jesus lifted high. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Bless you guys. Have a wonderful week.